This bonus episode of Hitting Play is brought to you without commercial interruption by Fantasy Annihilator. Tired of playing a full season of fantasy sports with nothing to show for it? Try Fantasy Annihilator! With week-long games starting every five minutes, you can kick that year-long fantasy league to the curb. We are currently giving out $1.2 billion every hour, so sign up and play! Bro, I logged in, I set it up, and I won 500 bucks. Dude, I didn't even play! My cat ran across my keyboard, and I still won $1,000! Uh, I didn't even sign up for this thing, and I got a check for $15,000. Alright. Fantasy Annihilator! Results not typical. Not currently giving out any money. Not an actual company. Does not exist. Prize money is paid out in monthly increments of zero monopoly dollars for zero months. For questions, see non-existent website. Or call us toll-free by pressing no buttons and hanging up your phone. Best way Welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is a Justice League enthusiast, Sean. Yes, enthusiast is a, a very mild term <laughs> for my obsession, yes. Well, this week we watched Challenge of the Super Friends, Hanna-Barbera's continuation of the adventures of the Justice League of America, this time pitted against an alliance of their foes known as the infamous Legion of Doom. Yeah, Scott, I've been looking forward to um, doing this for quite a while. Since we started the podcast, we've been looking forward to doing this series, especially Challenge of the Super Friends, because this is probably the one I remember the most when I was a kid. I think it was on TV more than the normal Super Friends series. I was really surprised to find out that it only lasted a few months in 1978. Yeah, I was looking through the history of the Super Friends, because when you, a lot of times you just hear, oh, Super Friends, and you think of that as one series, but this actually was one of seven Super Friends series. There was uh, Super Friends from 1973 to 74, uh, the all-new Super Friends Hour from 77 to 78, this series, Challenge of the Super Friends, from 78 to 79. World's Greatest Super Friends, 79 to 80. Then Super Friends again, 1980 to 1983. There were two seasons here. Then Super Friends, the legendary Super Powers show, from 1984 to 1985. And finally, they ditched Super Friends altogether, and they just called themselves the Super Powers team, Galactic Guardians, 1985 to 1986. So many different versions of this uh, this concept. It's very bizarre. And then, of course, we had the Justice League cartoons, which were more in the early 2000s, late 90s, and yeah. the various spinoffs of Batman, Batman Beyond, Superman. But this is the one, especially with the Legion of Doom, that I don't know if you remember as a kid, but I remember this being on TV quite often, but especially the Legion of Doom being the primary antagonists here. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't really get much of this growing up. I didn't have Cartoon Network here until 1999, so it's not really anything I would get before school. I know the USA Network had a thing called the Cartoon Express, which featured some of these cartoons. So only once in a great while, if I woke up before school at the right moment, I would be able to watch one of these. So uh, unfortunately, not something that I got into, into uh, much later on in life. Into an age where I could appreciate it for what it is, you know, more than just uh, 
admire it as a superhero cartoon as a kid, unfortunately. Well, if you could picture me as a five-year-old in 1983, <laughs> my, my leggings, uh, my one-piece pajamas with the feet, eating a bowl of cereal and watching this on Saturday mornings, that's <laughs> probably what happened. Um, I do remember it. Um, and I, I think this is my, my favorite version of Super Friends. I, I was never a fan of um, the two twins there in the monkey. Oh, Zan and Jane are the, the yes. Wonder Twins, yeah. yeah. And Gleek. Uh, Gleek. Gleek, I didn't mind. He was all right. Wonder Twins, uh, no thank you. <laughs> Their powers are stupid. I mean, one of them had to turn into, like, nature. I don't know where they, they found them. Uh, Jaina, Jaina could turn into some sort of living creature, some sort of animal. Zan yeah. had to turn into some form of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. it. Like ice. Power of ice. Yeah, ice, steam, snow, and they, uh, then you kind of run out of options after that. But they had to do it at the same time, right? Like when she turned into a, a rhinoceros, he had to turn into water, I think. I, I think so, yeah. I believe they had to touch rings. That was their Wonder Twins power. Yeah. Wonder Twins power activate. I can see why they booed him out of the Justice League. <laughs> well, um, Hanna-Barbera no always needed that kind of character, especially the uh, the monkey. You know, they needed a little cartoon mascot, it seemed. They should have kept the monkey. I mean, <laughs> I didn't mind him. He didn't really do anything that was negative to the show. But Well, that's, anyway, a, that's a matter that's for a, another that, episode. That's a whole other episode, my, <laughs> my uh, anti-Wonder Twins episode. Yes. So, yeah, 16 episodes of this total, um, September 9th, 1978, and it ended December 23rd, 1978. And it didn't seem like it was a anything I could find. It wasn't a ratings issue or anything. It just ended. Like, that's what they planned, and that was that was it. <laughs> very, very bizarre. They just kept pumping out these new series, entirely yeah. new series, and uh, created uh, new characters, as we'll get into. And uh, changed saw a lot of things around, and yeah, this was just kind of in the middle of the run. Yeah, and you know, as a a five year old, I'm this is I'm sure I loved it. I know I loved this show. Watching it now, uh, many years later, it's interesting to say the least. As we go through the episode, it's just very interesting the way our five year old minds work. Um, as a thirty seven year old. <laughs> I, I'm thinking a little differently about, you know, it's kind of more funny than anything else. So just a very, very cool up show, though. And I, I love anything Justice League. And this is, even though it's not Justice League, it's still Super Friends. It's still Justice League. So, oh, sure. I mean, it's still yeah. very, very campy. You don't watch this for a serious story or anything that remotely resembles, you know, uh, the, the movies or the comics. This is just oh, no. uh, just a fun Cartoon, you know, featuring the characters that, uh, you know, we've grown to love, at least for the most part, anyway. That being said, let's analyze the crap out of it. Yes, yes, let's get right into this episode. Okay. So, we start with the opening that we get for every episode of this series. We we get this uh, montage, we get a look at the members of the Justice League, they're fighting and using their powers against the various villains, and we get the voice of narrator Bill Woodson. Now, I, I at first thought this was Ted Knight, but I guess this was uh, this came after this gentleman. Yeah, I, I love Bill Woodston's voice. I, I I wish I could have him narrate things for me in my life. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, at the it's just fantastic the way he does it, and I think that's I know it's been spoofed numerous times. Yes. Um, his voice and it's really just so I don't know, just so um, unique of a, of a voice and inflections he has. It's really funny. And at the time of this recording, he is still with us. He is yeah. 98 years of age. But Bill Woodson, I don't know if you ever watched The Odd Couple, 
but uh, he was the narrator for the opening of The Odd Couple. Really? Okay, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I saw him on some other things. He had quite a resume. His gem and his, his uh, resume is uh, Super Friends. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, he has quite a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, so we get Bill Woodson's narration here where he says, you know, banded together from remote galaxies, which, first of all, they're not, but, you know, I think only... A couple of them are. I think two are extraterrestrials, Bizarro and... Uh, Sinestro. 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 Yeah. Yeah, so not necessarily <laughs> that's that being the case, but uh, 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom, dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe, which, you know, quite a lofty goal. I don't think they'll ever achieve that. Uh, he says, w- continues, one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. And then he <laughs> goes on to say, the Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the challenge of the Super Friends. And the opening ends with this scene of all 11 Super Friends on one side about to clash with all 13 villains of the Legion of Doom on the other side. Running towards each other in the yeah. middle. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, then it ends with the two of them just about to meet with the name of the series and the name of the episode you are about to watch. And yes. uh, growing up as I did watching the X-Men cartoon, this is something I was very well familiar with. I was like, oh, this is where they probably got the idea. Because that would always open with all of the X-Men on one side and Magneto and a couple of villains on the other side all running together and about to clash in the middle. So that was pretty funny. Yeah, probably it's just an homage to the you know, Super Friends. Yes. Challenge of the Super Friends. Or they just stole it, I mean. Yeah, it could be a straight ripoff. <laughs> yeah. Now, now before we continue, let's just mention who is actually in the Super Friends. Uh, yes. We will get a rundown of the Legion of Doom as the episode continues, but I guess they assume the audience is already well familiar at this point? Apparently. I mean, we got the, uh, the basic, the big guns for the Super Friends. Yes. And they tend to take most of the the spotlight in this episode, at least. Uh, So you have Superman, Batman, Robin, who was voiced by Casey Kasem, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, The Flash, Green Lantern. So those are the big guns. Yeah. Now, Scott, do you know the other ones? The other Flash 4? I think I can. Uh, Well, of course, there's Hawkman, who is also uh, pretty big in the comics around that time and continues to be. He's never a fan. But still, you know, not bad. Uh, then we get three very interesting characters. There's three left, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, now these are the additions to these series. Uh, we have Apache Chief. And I should mention, these remaining three are an attempt by Hanna-Barbera to increase the diversity of the team, to promote a, uh, a cultural diversity among the, the superheroes, because they are a primarily white group, traditionally, all through the 60s. And so, you know, it was good on them to try to do this. Unfortunately, they really fell into a lot of stereotypes. Yes. uh, As we'll see. So Apache Chief, he was a a Native American character that was added for the show. And his power is to grow many times his size simply by reciting the phrase, Enichuk, (laughs) which supposedly translates to big man. Huh. Yeah. And and, uh, I guess... Years later, you know, you were talking about some of the more modern Justice League series. Justice League Unlimited had a character called Long Shadow, and he was directly based on Apache Chief, so that was pretty funny. Do you still say Inuchuk? I, I don't know. I never watched that series. Yeah, I can't I imagine. I saw that one either. No. 
And I think Apache Chief, there's an origin episode. I don't know if it's in this series or another one. Basically, he went out on a hunting expedition and was given this magic powder. Huh. Yeah, there was a lot of magic powder in the 70s as well. Yes. So, you yeah. Know. <laughs> so the next character is Samurai. And he was also a new character made for the Super Friends. And, and they wanted an, an Asian character to add to the diversity of the team. And his wind powers were modeled after the character Red Tornado. Yes. And uh, he was just, you know, another guy never in the comics before until years later when DC did their Brightest Day event. They, yeah. uh, they added the samurai character to official DC Comics canon. And that was a joyous day for all. <laughs> well, it's still kind of cool to, you know, give this character his due. I just have a problem with, especially in this episode, whenever someone has to be saved, like, uh, you know, a, uh, a different region of Earth. Yeah. The Asian population has to be saved by samurai. Right, right. Like, he's, he's there, you know, helping the, the Chinese individuals and the Japanese folks. Yeah. It's like, they couldn't send somebody else. He can't, you know, help the guys in, you know, Detroit. Not a fan of that. No. Anyway. I, yeah, and like I said, you know, they, they tried to be diverse, but sometimes they, you know, fell into these stereotypes. And uh, just like Apache Chief, years later, Justice League Unlimited featured the character Wind Dragon, who was very much based on the samurai character. Yes. So that was kind of neat. And finally, we have Black Vulcan. And uh, Black Vulcan is a very interesting character. Again, this was uh, another character added for diversity. He is a African-American superhero that has lightning powers. The strange thing is that DC already had an African-American superhero with lightning powers named Black Lightning. But there were disputes between the character's creator, Tony Isabella, and DC. I didn't see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so as a result, they couldn't use him. So what do you do when you can't use a character? You, they get Black Vulcan. You tweak him very, very slightly. <laughs> and that must have really ticked Tony off, too. I mean, oh, yeah. He's like, aha, I'm going to show one over on them. They can't use Black Lightning. And they make Black Vulcan the guy who has a lightning bolt on his, his costume. <laughs> you know, just like, oh, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but very good, again, of um, DC and, and the challenge of the Super Friends to try to put some other colors into the Justice League, and I, I appreciate that. I applaud them for their efforts. Yeah, definitely. That's something that probably should have been done a long time ago, not just for a cartoon. But by the time the last series came out, uh, the Superpowers team, Galactic Guardians, they there already was a uh, an African-American character associated with the Justice League, that being Cyborg. Yeah. So they used that series as a way to introduce uh, that character into that series. I believe he was a teenager in an accident and his father uh, gave him the bionic parts to become cyborg in that series. And he somehow saved the Justice League from Darkseid, making him uh, a very powerful new enemy. And so Superman uh, told him that he should probably stick with the Justice League. And so he does for that season. So at that point, they, uh, I guess they no longer had a purpose for Black Vulcan. Uh, which is kind of sad, so he kind of got kicked to the wayside. Yep. I saw Cyborgs, yeah, his his entry story, his origin story is very much like that. Yeah. I think in the Justice League cartoon, like the other Justice League one, the newer one, he's a football star whose father works at Star Labs or something, and it has something to do with Darkseid and boom tubes, and yeah, he gets, he gets a robot body, basically. Yeah. So. And characters weren't just ditched for, you know, racial diversity or anything, primarily, Anyway, because we, we also saw Zan and Jaina and Gleek get removed. I think Adam also had a, a brief 
uh, stint with the Super Friends, yeah. uh, uh, Green Arrow as well. So a lot of these characters came and went anyway. But this is so. This is the the lineup we have for the challenge of the Super Friends. Are these eleven mighty warriors? Another thing is the name Super Friends. Uh, kind of strange. Uh, never really used in the comics before. And this is pretty much Hanna-Barbera's way of adapting the comic book for television. And yeah. I think they just felt that that was a kinder, friendlier name. Even the though Justice League of America. Yeah, and even though in the series, that's what they're called is the Justice League of America. Yeah. But no, the, the, the name Super Friends lasts for quite a long time. I think they're just... Thought the kids were stupid, <laughs> and they had to say, you know, they don't want, they don't know what's a, what's a just what's a league, you know, why is it just a mayor? Let's call them super friends. They're just friends. And they're super. That's that's <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah, really. But as we'll see, the Legion of Doom is more diverse with their membership. Oh yes. So we get the title of this episode: Wanted, the Super Friends. This originally aired September 9th, nineteen seventy eight. On ABC. This was a, of course, a Saturday morning. We open on a very dismal and murky swamp, where out from under a scummy body of water emerges the iconic headquarters of the Legion of Doom. Yeah, I got some some issues with this. Yeah, yeah, Well, yeah. not the Legion of Doom, but, you know, first of all, I gotta mention that the uh, the crocodile in the beginning with the uh, you first see. Yeah. He's like, he has this look on his face like, yeah, you know what you're getting into. <laughs> he knows what's going on. Right, right. Like, uh, but, um... The narrator mentions that the Legion of Doom headquarters, which looks amazingly like Darth Vader's helmet. Right. Ah, uh, gee, I wonder why, since it's 1978. Yes. You know, uh, Star Wars is probably the most popular thing in the world at that point. Yep. But they mention that it's in a swamp, obviously. Okay. But it's near Gotham City. Slaughter Swamp, outside of Gotham City. Okay. I don't know if he mentions it in this episode, but I, I think so, or I've looked it up or something. As far as I know, and I've remembered... Gotham City is supposed to be in the Northeast United States. Yeah, kind of an analog to New York City, yeah. Yeah, it's like the New York City. So there's a swamp with alligators and crocodiles in the northern United States. <laughs> that's, that's true. My, that's my first beef with this. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Well, that doesn't make much sense. Okay. And as we're going to see, this Legion of Doom headquarters is in the swamp. And it's built by, obviously, Lex Luthor probably put the funds for this. You would, would you assume that also? Yeah, of course. They, they couldn't find any other real estate besides a swamp? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. You know, I was listening to the... I own the DVD set of this show. I was listening to the commentary, which was done by a, a couple of DC writers. Really didn't have anything to do with the production of the series. But they said that they vaguely remember, and I, I don't remember this at all, that there was some... Mention on the show about where they wanted the headquarters to be, that Captain Cold wanted it somewhere very cold and up north, and Bizarro wanted it in Bizarro World, or something to that effect, where everybody wanted it on their home turf, and it ended up in Slaughter Swamp. So it's almost like Solomon Grundy got his way, of all the people. I bet Lex Luthor is just sick of these people already. Yeah. I, I gotta imagine that, as we'll see in a minute. I mean, he must be like, okay, fine, you know what, we're gonna put it in a swamp. If people can't agree on anything... I want it in Metropolis, downtown, nice office building, fine. You know, he's just he's just done at this point. At least it moves, that's one thing. It does fly, yes, and it comes out of the swamp. And moves just... through time, I believe, at one point, too. Yeah, which kind of gives credence to their ability to take over the universe. I guess. If they can master the, the passage of time, but again, it doesn't really work out in their favor at all. 
Yeah. So uh, within this headquarters, Lex Luthor, he's calling this meeting to order, and he basically states how these 13 of the world's most ruthless villains have banded together to defeat the forces of good and ultimately become the rulers of Earth. And this is another proof to me that he is sick of this group already. (laughs) Because if you watch him while he's talking to them from the podium, his eyes are shut the entire time. <laughs> like he's he's like, you know what? I I gotta do this, but I I got I'm checked out already. Can't even look at them. I don't look at these people. I, I don't know why I did this. I just couldn't be rich. I have to take you know. Okay, just get through it, Lex. You know, just, just get through this. <laughs> it's really funny. It's like totally shut. Like not even open a little bit. Shut totally. And, and of course, with the Hanna Barbera animation style, there's no like no whites to the eyes or anything too. So. It's just totally shut, yeah. So, here the show gives us a look at each of the villains as they demonstrate their powers. Yes. Kind of uh, destructive and irresponsible. And another reason for Lex Luthor to be upset. Right. You know, he probably spent, the way you think this place cost, you know, $1978, probably, you know, a few hundred million dollars. Oh, yeah, at least, At least. Sure. And, you know, Captain Cold, for out of the box here, introduces him. Yep. Instead of, you know, giving him a little wave, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Shoots a light fixture right. and destroys it <laughs> right off the bat. And it, it, it's like, well, you know, Sinestro, he's the next one introduced. Yeah. And he's pretty tame. He just makes a snake with his yellow ring. Yep. And then we have Bizarro and Salmon Grundy, who punches a hole <laughs> through the table for no apparent reason. And Bizarro like, looks at him like, oh, okay, that's, you know. Bizarro described by Lex here as awesome. The awesome Bizarro. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of this interpretation of Bizarro. <laughs> um, he seems, you know, in my opinion, Bizarro is supposed to be, you know, anti-Superman or negative Superman. Yeah. Everything he does is far out and and opposite of Superman. Yeah. This is just kind of like a laid-back Bizarro who speaks differently. You know, there's no real wackiness or negativeness about him. It's just, uh, I'm not a fan of this one. Yeah, it's strange. So who do we see next there, Scott? After that, we get Cheetah introduced with Brainiac. And Brainiac, just uh, they make some sort of beep-boop noise to make you understand he's some sort of android. And then uh, Cheetah, for some reason, decides, okay, I'm going to scratch up my spot at the table. Yeah, across the entire thing. <laughs> It's like, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, at least they mess up their spot at the table. You know, because this is where they're going to have to sit for all these meetings for the entire series. But still, I mean, I would be furious if I was Lexa with her at this point. It's like, what are you people doing? I know, I, I would send them a bill. Yeah, I mean, I would walk out of the room. I'd be done. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't work with you people. Then we get Black Manta and Grodd the Gorilla. They get introduced as a pair. And uh, the camera just zooms in on Grodd and he growls. So really not much there. His face, yeah. We also get Toy Man and Riddler. And the Riddler holds up cards featuring the faces of the Super Friends, which promptly ignites. More magic than a riddle, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's, um... (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at the cards and I have a still screen of this. And it's Superman, Batman, Robin... Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and one of the Wonder Twins, the, the boy. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. And and the monkey. Oh, that's funny. Make up the cards. So I guess it's their, their little homage to the Wonder Twins is them being burned to a crisp, which I don't disagree with. Oh, reused animation, one or the other. <laughs> that's right. Then we get introduced to Giganta and Scarecrow. Scarecrow just laughs. Yeah, disgusting laugh. In listening to the commentary, they were talking about Giganta being a Wonder Woman villain who, for the purposes of this show, is 
more of an Apache chief villain because they both have the ability to grow tall. Yeah. But uh, Cheetah seems to be more added in the place of Catwoman. She's a Wonder Woman villain primarily. And it's probably just their way of like saying, okay, we have too many Batman villains. Let's get a couple of Wonder Woman villains. Because at this point, she only had like three real big villains anyway, so... Yeah, exactly. I gotta think that the Toy Man was a um, obvious change-up for the Joker. Yeah. Which would have been a perfect villain for the Legion of Doom, but, you know. For a lot of these characters, you know, they weren't... They have been in the comics for many years up to that point, since like the 50s and 60s. But this was really where fans started to notice who they were and kids started to read more about them. And they got to be more prominently featured in a lot of comic book titles, even down to now. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's probably the biggest case with Bizarro. You know, he has his own series now, and, and you know, especially, I think he kind of took off after that. Maybe Sinestro also, you know, it was a bigger name in the Green Lantern world. So, yeah, it gives some prominence to some of these characters, like you said, that weren't really well-known B-level villains before this. Yeah, in fact, when our Star Wars expert Paul was here for the week uh, a couple weeks ago, we rented Injustice, the DC game for the Xbox 360. Yes. It's like that fighting game. And some of the characters are characters from this show, like Solomon Grundy. Yep. You know, uh, that's somebody that, without a show like this, you would have never heard of him. He just would have been some obscure, weird zombie character. He would have been buried, yeah, in the uh, back pages. And finally, Lex Luthor introduces himself. Yeah, well, <laughs> the guy, had, you know, that's his due. After right. he puts up with this nonsense. Seriously. <laughs> so so then Lex proposes his plan. He's going to use his new dream machine to seek out the minds of the super friends while they sleep and subject them to their will, allowing their dreams to be controlled. Yes. And Bizarro and Cheetah will then oversee phase two of the plan, uh, which he mentions is to simply put an end to the super friends once and for all. So we'll find out about phase two a little later. Again, Bizarro is a little too uh, cooperative in my mind. Yeah. For his character. He's like, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to take care of this. And I expect that maybe you can get him to do it eventually, but I think it'll take a lot more cajoling, like, oh, to really talk to him and, and get him to understand what he has to do. It's yeah. not so easy with Bizarro. Yeah, the, these guys aren't necessarily team players, mm -mm. you wouldn't think. And, and Bizarro, especially, you wouldn't use him as a guy to oversee a phase of your plan. I would have him as like a, a poster child and just kind of let him sit in the Legion of Doom headquarters and... Be the muscle, at least. Yeah, or be the muscle, yeah. <laughs> so Lex then activates this handheld machine, which kind of just floats in the air, and it fires out a pink beam. And from here, we cut to the Daily Planet building in Metropolis, where, conveniently enough, Clark Kent is sleeping at his desk. Yeah, kind of not really in Superman's <laughs> character to be sleep or or even Clark Kent, you know, to be sleeping on the job here. And I got a real problem with this dream, Ray. Let yes. me ask you, Scott. If you were to say, what's the biggest thing that villains try to get about their Super Friends or Justice League's counterparts? What's the biggest secret they try to find out about them? Uh, their, typically. Their secret identity? Their secret identity. He has a machine... That knows how to find the secret identities <laughs> of Superman, Batman, Robin, and all the rest of the Justice League. Yes, yes. It's firing it right at them. It knows how to find it. <laughs> yeah, you think follow the would, beam. You think that would be the first uh, mission, is to find the secret identities of the Justice League. But they're just kind of like, oh, okay, we're just going to fire it out there and 
It knows how to find it. <laughs> well, what? Uh, uh, that makes no sense to me. But anyway. No, it's, it, I know, totally. It, it, it found Clark Kent, and it, it found him. You know, it, it does not discriminate between Clark Kent and Superman. It goes right nope. for Clark Kent. And yeah, they could have just found out some very key information. Yeah, exactly. Right, right off the bat, and done. Okay, we know how you know we can kidnap Lois Lane. We can kidnap Perry White. Justice League is done. Yeah, but nope. They just assume like, well, this just. I wonder if any of the Legion of Doom kind of questioned this, like, uh, you know, can't we figure out who they are? <laughs> no, we have to invade their dreams. Uh, yeah, but but why? I mean, why? You know, it's like, oh no, I don't We can't do that. So it, it very very funny. Leaps of logic, I guess, that a five-year-old wouldn't take, but I definitely noticed, again, as a 37-year-old. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, now, this pink beam, it comes in through the window, and it covers Clark's face. And so Clark kind of just awakens and stiffly walks to a supply room, so we kind of get the sense that he's sleepwalking here. And as he walks through the supply room, we cut inside, and he's already changed into Superman, and he flies out an open window. I thought for sure he was just going to jump out and fall to the ground. <laughs> yeah, really. Looked like he was, like, leaning over. <laughs> so we then cut to Fort Knox, where moments later, Superman takes out an entire army unit and, of course, doesn't kill anybody, but he, he I believe, wraps a fence around some guys and, you know. It's, yeah. it's really funny. He wraps the fence around the two guys, and then he, a tank, I guess, which is stationed at Fort Knox for some reason, comes after him, and they have this really slow-motion shot of the guys jumping off the tank like i don't know if it was intentional and it doesn't look like it was like it should have been normal speed but the animation got screwed up or something yeah yeah and it's like they're jumping off in in slow motion and then superman takes the barrel of the tank puts it in a pretzel and then throws it almost hits the two guys he wrapped up in the fence yeah really they're kind of like oh my god we almost got killed by a tank here <laughs> by superman of all by people. superman and then he gets into fort knox so Superman, yeah, he goes in and he, I guess, is just one vault where all the gold is held. And if this is all the gold in the United States Depository, we, I can explain our financial difficulties. <laughs> it's like one pile of gold in the whole thing just sitting yeah, there. Yeah, it's not much, but they have a force field. They have force field technology. So it's not always activated, I guess. It's probably very costly to run it. So one guard tells the other, get the force field going. And so he pulls a switch or whatever. And this yellow force field descends upon the gold, but Superman easily pulls it aside and uh, grabs the gold and just kind of runs out holding it. It was pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty. It's very, very humorous. Running is very funny in this cartoon. Yeah, it's, uh, the animation's a little bit off. <laughs> so back at the Legion of Doom headquarters now, they, they're watching this happen on their view screen somehow. And uh, Lex announces that Batman and Robin are next. So somebody's videotaping this or there's some sort of satellite cameras or, or something is going on where they're able to watch this on their view screen you know if they only watched this beam from the beginning like you said they'd go oh wait a minute this is clark kent oh look at he's changing into superman but no they they kind of catch the uh the video stream a little too late yeah it happens <laughs> So we then cut to Wayne Manor, where once again this pink beam enters through a window, and we immediately cut to the Batcave, where we now see Batman and Robin fully in their costumes as they come down, not the bat poles, but I guess these bat slides, and uh, they're already in their costumes, and they depart in the Batmobile in the Bat Helicopter. Yes, I I'm really disturbed by Robin, I've always had, <laughs> have been. 
And the fact that his voice is Casey Kasem doesn't help things at all. Oh, come on. That's a great voice. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Again, you know, I think they mentioned something like, oh, it's a, it's a surprise. You know, we, we have to try to find out where Batman and Robin are. Again, you know, it's pointing right towards Wayne Manor. Right. This one cracked me up, this little montage of them going to the um, United States Depository. Um, yeah, the Mint. Wa- the U.S. Mint. The U.S. Mint. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I don't know if they... I guess they print money there. Some money. Um, yeah. But the, the guards really cracked me up in this. They go <laughs> in, and Batman turns on the presses yes. in the middle of the night, starts firing out sheets of money um, onto a, a tray, <laughs> And he lassos the money, and the guard's like, Hey, Batman, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. You have to put that back, or I'm going to have to arrest you. And then they, they wrap up the guards on the uh, the pile of money. Yeah, he just ties them all together. Like, what <laughs> what is that going to do? Now you're going to take these guards with you? They took another pile of money. Like, dollar, like they're not, you know, no one's going to be able to trace that. Yeah, really. Uh, uncut, you know, $100 bills you have in your thing, or whatever. It's probably singles. Yeah, I was going to say, they're probably ones. <laughs> you know, it's like 300 bucks worth of ones there. And they take it off and they they lift it in the bat helicopter. It's like, what? But the guards, the guards' voices cracked me up. I was oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. You can't be here, Batman. Very polite. Very polite. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to, if you don't straighten out, I'm going to have to take you in. <laughs> A couple of notes, too, that I had on this scene is that Robin descends from the helicopter unpiloted now the helicopter just stays put in the air hovering above the u.s mint while robin descends and it waits for them as they you know hoist up the uncut sheets at the very end yeah yeah so that's kind of a an autopilot nice feature and and another gadget we see here you were talking about uh star wars influencing the legion of doom headquarters we get to see robin wield a lightsaber in this scene i was gonna mention that i mean (laughs) So, so Robin has a lightsaber now to get through this door. Right? Uh, come on, let's just call this Star Wars and be done with it. Yeah, yeah, slices through the bank vault door, much like Qui-Gon Jinn at the beginning of uh, the terrible uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I liked it. And it looks like a flashlight. It doesn't look like, a, obviously, like a, a lightsaber. It would have been funny if it did. It's pretty close. Yeah. Keep in mind, Star Wars had already been out for well over a year at this point. Long enough that they knew what they were doing, but fresh enough in everybody's minds where this was really cool. Yes, yeah. I'm sure they, they definitely planned it this way. Yeah, so they, Batman and Robin, now they take off. And we here get one of the very famous Super Friends scene transitions where we see a field of space and a couple of starbursts fly at the screen with this laser sound. Yes. Yeah. And this is something that they will use over and over and over again now. So we get one of those, and then our narrator tells us that all around the world, Lex Luthor's dream machine is causing the members of the Super Friends to commit crimes. So our next crime spree here is by the Flash. Yes. Um, running into, I'm guessing it's the Tower of London or wherever they store the crown jewels. Doors wide open with <laughs> yeah. one guard. One guard. Sitting there. And he's not harmed, thankfully. He's just, you know, he's oblivious to it. And Flash comes and somehow goes through glass without opening anything. <laughs> And steals the crown jewels. And then, of course, you have to get the uh, Black Vulcan involved. Um, who He breaks into a pyramid. Yeah, to rob King Tarim's tomb, where if you look yes. it up, there is no such thing. Of course, yes. But, you know, it doesn't even use the door. It just goes right through the side of the pyramid. Yeah, bursts right into the side. Well, of course, he's under mind control. A real superhero wouldn't do this. But, that, you know, that's that's a lot of damage that cannot be repaired. Yeah. 
Uh, and it, it's fun. You can see the camel and the two little Egyptian guys in the, in the foreground. Going, oh, Whoa, I didn't, what the? I didn't notice Watching that. that. Yeah, at the bottom of the screen, next, next to a tent. Kind of probably wondering what's going on. And then our last crime we see here is Wonder Woman. Yes. In the, uh, looks like the Louvre, I'm guessing, in Paris. Yeah. Stealing famous paintings. She missed the Mona Lisa, apparently. <laughs> Just lassoes a bunch of them. Yeah, she lassoes eight paintings in one throw. Yeah. Not really the most efficient way of gathering priceless works of, you know, delicate art, but uh, she somehow does it. The lasso of truth is very powerful, my friend. <laughs> and I think the funniest part of that whole scene is when it goes, zooms back out to the Legion of Doom headquarters. You can see her like, casually walking out the door with the paintings in her hand. It's like, do 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 Oh, and it's even funnier than that, because if you watch that scene where they're watching it on the view screen like you're talking about, mm-hmm. she's not walking towards a door. There's actually a wall there. So if, if the scene kept going, she would walk face first into the wall. <laughs> they should have kept that going. <laughs> they didn't even animate a, uh, a door. Just a wall. Yeah, they didn't even draw one in. She's probably looking for the exit, gift shop, you know, on the way out. <laughs> So, back at the Legion of Doom headquarters, the villains are now watching in amazement as Luther's plan goes off completely without a hitch. And uh, Bizarro laughs that the best is yet to come, or I should say, best yet to come, rather. Yes. So we get another one of those scene transitions, and we cut to the following morning at the famous Justice League headquarters, the Hall of Justice. And uh, everyone's just kind of like, I don't know, I guess they all show up every morning for work. (laughs) Yeah. There's no coffee or anything, though. It's just like this table with a big red thing in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Telephones, and they all have that thing that you know is going to happen. Oh, we had all had the same dream. Right, right. Uh, what happened? Batman and Robin don't even discuss it on the way over. Like, it's not until they mention it there. I think Flash is the first to mention that they've all had dreams about committing crimes. Yeah. And uh, Batman talks about his about robbing the U.S. Mint, and, and Robin can't even believe he had the same dream that night. <laughs> And I like Hawkman now explains that their dreams turned to nightmares when they arrived at the Hall of Justice. And he points towards a hidden panel in the wall. And it makes some sort of noise. Is this some sort of Hawkman power I'm not aware of? To open hidden compartments? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. You, you only see it uh, once in a while. It's a secret uh, power he has. <laughs> the force open co- uh, compartments in the Hall of Justice. Okay. They're pointing at them. Good for tidying up, I suppose. Yes. Big compartment there. Yeah, they have all the loot stored. Yeah, that's that's what we see is the camera pans across and we see this huge collection of treasures. And uh, it just reveals that what they thought were dreams were actual experiences. Mm. So the chief of police instantly shows up on the view screen. And uh, I would think at this point, Hawkman would point real quick to shut that hidden panel so <laughs> the cops don't see it. <laughs> uh, but uh, he asks them to turn themselves into police headquarters. And they agree without any kind of hesitation. Yeah, they they feel that if they don't turn themselves in, they'll appear guilty. So they figured <laughs> that they should probably go in and, and, and at least talk to the police. And they go to the, the generic police department. Yes, yeah, we got police- one of those other transitions again, and we cut to the police headquarters. And the funny thing is, once they're, in, they're locked up, or they're getting locked up by the police chief and his assistant there. Yeah. That, uh, Superman automatically says, you know... Well, we have to go, we can't be locked up. We have to go fight, you know, find the uh, the perpetrators of this. Right. It's like, well, why did you go to the police station and, the, you know? Uh, yeah, or at least why did you volunteer? Like, okay, we'll walk with you down this corridor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll walk oh. with you up to this cell. <laughs> we'll all file into this cell. 
And just when he's about to, to lock the door, and actually does, that's when he decides, well, let's reason with them of why we shouldn't be in here. <laughs> whoa, 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 I don't know what you're doing here, but we have to find the, <laughs> the villains. And, and the police officer says, even you know, in the episode, he knows that they can easily break out, but he says that he's relying on their personal integrity not to. Yeah, well. So this isn't like kryptonite bars or anything that, you know, would keep Superman at bay. Superman could then just open the door and just go, well, hold on, let's talk for a minute before I commit to this. But no, Superman's acting as if he's trapped and he's trying to talk his way out of it. Yeah, yep. Very, very funny. And some of the, we didn't see all the crimes being committed. I'm assuming, I guess we can assume that everyone in the Justice League committed a crime. Yes, they're all guilty of some crime. But, you know, like, Green Lantern's in there, and Samurai's in there, Aquaman. It's like, they probably, we didn't see it, but, you know, maybe they didn't do anything. And he just followed them. It's like, okay, I guess we have to go along here with everyone else. Yeah, Green Lantern's just like, oh, okay. So, yeah, now at this point, the chief and the other officer take off their masks, revealing themselves to actually be Cheetah and Bizarro. Yes. And Bizarro reveals that he was using a device invented by Lex Luthor to change his voice. Of course, he doesn't explain how the device gave him a better vocabulary, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> now, you think at this point, they'd go, okay, wait a minute, this is a trap, and Superman would then open the bars, get out, and they would fight or, 11 on 2 and win. Or maybe one of the super friends that is very fast, <laughs> such as the Flash, could maybe get out, uh, you know. Or I Black Vulcan. Or Black Falcon, or really any of them, except really, Aquaman. Yeah. Aquaman is kind of stuck there, but any of them could probably have gotten up. Um, but, you know, they decide to just stay in there and let nature take its course, I guess. <laughs> so Bizarre then presses a button on this handheld device he's holding, and it emits some sort of mind control ray, which freezes their muscles. <laughs> So they can't move. I love how the, these plot devices are written in this episode. So it's like, well, they can't move. All right, well, he has a device. Everybody just has some sort of device. But apparently, they can still speak. So I guess their mouth muscles aren't muscles after all. Yeah, their jaws can still move. Yeah, you think it would be totally silent. <laughs> so Bizarro then presses another button, which launches the isolated jail cell through the ceiling of the jail into outer space. So this was a space capsule all along. Yes. So as the super friends are now struggling, still frozen from the effects of this mind control ray, they notice that they are heading straight towards the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, now at the Hall of Doom, Lex Luthor immediately claims this as a victory. He doesn't want to see it through, I guess. He's just going to say, okay, they're gone. And they plan to take over the Hall of Justice, turning into, uh, to quote Black Manta, a Hall of Injustice. Very clever Black Manta, yeah. I yes. like his voice, too. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. he got a chance to speak. Yeah, he has the, the best voice in this cartoon. Yes. So their plan now is to use the Justice League's computers to start a reign of crime the likes of which the world has never known. And as we see the super friends in this cell flying towards the sun, Bill Woodson now asks, Can the super friends escape before they collide with the sun? Will the Legion of Doom succeed in taking over the world? And then we're told... Stay tuned and see the exciting conclusion of the challenge of the Super Friends. Uh, of course they're going to die and this is going to be the end of it. So Yes. I, I like to think about this, this cage spaceship thing. Yes. If you think about it, like 90% of the Justice League would be dead as soon as it went into orbit. Yeah. Because it's open to the elements. It's not like it's enclosed or anything. Yeah, this it's is a, a cage. Yeah, exactly. I was going to mention that. It, it's completely open and that, that will kill off a lot of the Super Friends. Yes. Like, most you know, of them. Most of them. Most of them are dead. Except maybe Superman. 
Superman Green can Lantern. survive. Yep. Well, maybe not even Green Lantern. He can't use his ring, so he can't. That's why he protects himself. Yeah, the, that's with, true. With the Green Lantern ring. I think we've seen Black Vulcan fly through space. He might be okay. But there isn't too many of them. Batman and Robin are certainly just humans. They're gone. Yeah. Samurai, same thing, I would assume. Yeah, I don't think he, he just has wind power. Aquaman, he shouldn't be out of the ocean. I mean, oh, he's, he's been, he should be dead anyway, so... He, he's gone in the jail before they even leave. Yeah, exactly. He just dried, he dried out on the walk over to the, <laughs> the jail cell. Yeah. So here, of course, we get a very suspenseful commercial break. Now, when we return from commercial, we see that the Super Friends are now dangerously close to the sun. Yes. Uh, they should be gone at this proximity from the sun that they're at. And Batman calculates that they only have a few minutes left. Which, being that close again to the sun, you'd be instantly you'd be dead before you could even calculate that. If it was only a few minutes from the sun. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to actually touch the surface of the sun to burn up. You'd be burning <laughs> up way before you even get there. Contrary to proper belief, yeah, you don't actually have to, yeah, land on the sun to die. Uh, Superman, actually, the cage probably would have melted by now. And Superman would probably still be alive and be able to escape long before this, uh, this plan they come up with to escape. Yeah, you could even argue that maybe his powers would increase as he goes towards the Earth's Very yellow true. Zone. Very true. But uh, that was not written into this episode. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so we then cut back to the Hall of Justice where the Legion of Doom has now taken over and made themselves quite at home. And now begins this phase two of their plan that they were speaking about. Invading the Justice League headquarters, a Hall of Justice, and hacking into their computer system. Is yeah, uh, Lex Luthor's plan. Which they call a mutation device. Yeah. And this will make the Justice League satellite beam its rays all over the world, turning everybody into bizarros and cheetahs. <laughs> Which I, I don't even have words to analyze uh, how stupid an idea this is, but yeah. okay. Why those two? Were they yeah. the easiest to draw, maybe? I, I, I guess so. You wouldn't think the cheetah costume would be easy to draw, but... <laughs> And, and looking at the Justice League satellite, it's somewhere around the orbit of the moon. Yeah. It, it's, like, way far away from Earth. It's not a satellite, per se. It's more of, like, a deep space probe at that point. And it's apparently powerful enough to, you know, send a signal around the entire planet at once. Yeah. So, yeah, we see that Luther presses the button on his device, and it activates the satellite dish on top of the Hall of Justice we've never seen before, unless Luther just uh, recently installed it. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, we see the satellite and it beams down all around the earth and we get this montage of the rays touching down in various places, turning every man into a bizarro and every woman into a cheetah. It's, it's funny looking at Lex Luthor's drawing or drawing the animation of Lex Luthor. His head is a lot bigger to me than the rest of his body for some reason. Oh, really? I didn't even notice. Yeah, it's, it seems like a little off. It's not like the beginning part of the episode where it looked pretty normal. So now these new clones immediately start committing heists in full costume. I don't know where they're getting these costumes from. And they're bringing their plunder into the Hall of Justice. So, meanwhile, in deep space, the Super Friends are brainstorming, trying to find a way to escape. Green Lantern would use his ring, but unfortunately the cell is yellow. Doesn't appear to be, but I'll take his word for it. No, I, I don't think it's... Maybe the beams are yellow, it's coming off of it? Oh, maybe that's what it is. Then I guess this must be the Golden Age Green Lantern where he couldn't affect anything yellow. Yeah, that was a, a part of... Even though this is the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, they made that an aspect of his powers. And Superman, using his telescopic vision, fortunately spots a small meteor flying nearby. And Batman hypothesizes that if they can find a way to align a collision course with the meteor, 
it may be able to disable the ray device on top of the cell that's preventing them from moving. At this point, Wonder Woman reveals that she can telepathically control her magic lasso. Which I had to look up, because I thought <laughs> I called shenanigans on this one. Yeah. But apparently she does have some telepathic powers, apparently. Really? Yeah. Okay. I guess there was some... In the 60s, she did have those powers, so... Oh, okay. Well, To be able to control things, yeah. So, well, she does now use this power to control the lasso, and she wrangles one of the jail cell's thrusters at the bottom, and she pulls on this one thruster just enough to make it fly toward the meteor, and it flies by, knocking the ray device off the top of it. Yes. Uh, fortunately, like you said, everybody can breathe in space, and Superman <laughs> bends the, the bars of the jail cell, flies out, and kind of just pushes the cell back to Earth. Where it harmlessly lands, of course, where it's supposed to, without any intervention at all by anything. Yeah, nobody burned up on re-entry. No, it all worked no, out. It's fine. Now, back at the Hall of Justice, Superman, Batman, and Robin, they start to run back, but they find this army of bizarros and cheetahs blocking their way. In fact, one bizarro comes after them with, I guess, some sort of street sweeper? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I think it's a street sweeper. <laughs> Which is, you know, a very menacing uh, device, so you gotta be careful with the street sweeper. Yeah, really. So Superman volunteers to take care of it, and he tells Batman and Robin, go to the Batcave and try to work on a solution to change everybody back. And to defeat the Street Sweeper, Superman just kind of, like, chops his hand slowly down and takes off all the bristles. Yeah. And that just kind of disables it. And it falls apart. Things still spin in there, that little pull. Yeah. And he pulls the driver out, which looks like a very skinny bizarro with a mustache, and throws him into a phone booth and kind of welds it shut. Yep. (laughs) With some solder, looks like. That should hold you, is what he says. So then we get another scene transition, and we see that all over the world, the Super Friends are attempting to capture this new army of villains created by the Legion of Doom. So we see Hawkman in some action here. He catches some people robbing a bank. And we see Samurai is stopping some people from stealing some sort of antiquity. I I don't know if it's a, a Chinese or Japanese antiquity. It's like a dragon or something, like a statue. Yeah. And Green Lantern stops the stolen train with this, you know, giant hand coming from his ring. Yep. So after yet another scene transition, we cut to the Batcave where Batman and Robin are using the Batcomputer to figure out how to reverse the effects of Luther's device. And I love this scene now where Robin discovers they're low on power and he calls for Alfred to bring them another nuclear power pack. <laughs> I was cracking up about that too. Yeah, I hope I hope Alfred is wearing his lead apron <laughs> yeah, when he's he... making these power deliveries. Oh, don't you know he's uh, certified to be a nuclear uh, fuel handling specialist? I would hope so. So Alfred came out. He's been turned into a Bizarro, which he re- he prefers to be called Alfred Bizarro for some reason. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> and he has the gun, which the rope device is on them, which ties Batman and Robin up. Again, I guess they don't have the reflexes to avoid this. Yeah, it happens anyway, all very slowly. Yeah, you know, it's, it could take 20 minutes loading this thing and, and getting it ready to fire, and they just kind of stood there <laughs> in disbelief that Alfred could have been compromised, I guess. Right. And then they are tied up and put in the Batmobile, where Alfred Bizarro puts the autopilot on and sends them over a, a cliff. Or what's the name of it? Like Devil's Cliff. Devil's Cliff, yes. Yeah, right over the edge of Devil's Cliff. And today they have a straight 
flying outside the bat cave going towards the edge of devil's cliff <laughs> yes where apparently there was a road that goes there because it just ends at the end of devil's cliff some bad planning there with the, the building commission to end a road right at the end of a cliff without any bridge or anything but yeah uh, that's where it's headed off and then we see that batman is able to as the batmobile is falling off the cliff reach over to his utility belt and press something a remote control yeah, the Batmobile remote control, which is conveniently on his utility belt. Yes, which fires him out of the cliff without any other intervention at all, being able to steer it or anything else. Yeah, it's weird because it's like they, they go over the cliff and Rob, even Robin yells, it's too late. And Batman just gets a finger on this one button and it fires a rocket thruster and helps it like fly away. Yep, takes off. So then we have another star wipe there. Yes. As we transition again to the Hall of Justice... Where Lex Luthor is claiming victory yet again, again with yeah. Captain Cold. <laughs> Captain Cold doesn't know what to do with all the money he has, so he decides to freeze it, because that makes sense. Yeah, it just kind of like freezes a, a handful of bills and shatters it. I mean, he, he, yep. he mentions that he's so rich, he doesn't know what to do with it all. It doesn't look like he's too rich. I mean, he has a couple stacks there, but nothing nothing crazy. Yeah. And we also see the Riddler uh, reveling in his newfound wealth. Yeah, Riddler asks, what's green and black and is the most treasured thing on Earth? And before anybody could answer, he answers me and begins to laugh as he throws a fistful of dollars into the air. Which, it's funny because in these Hanna-Barbera cartoons, we know the Riddler costume to be green and black, but here it's green and purple. So I didn't at first really understand what he was getting at with this. So then we have a another scene with Batman and Robin driving un unencumbered now in the portable Bat computer. Yeah, good thing they had one of those in the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah, yep. And there's a, a dot matrix printout that Robin is reading from. I forget <laughs> what he says, but they're able to figure out and talk to Superman about what's going on with the, the ray that's coming from the Justice League satellite. Yeah, all they had to do was reverse the polarity of the Justice League satellite. Of course. That's all they needed to do. Which Superman goes and pushes it a couple of times, which apparently that's what it does. Yeah, you just kind of give it a push. And I love, I love Superman when he gets the message from Batman. He's on his giant cellular telephone with a big antenna. And then just kind of stuffs it into his pants when he's done talking. <laughs> Pushes down the antenna. Richard's telescoping thing, yep. Because he doesn't have any kind of, you know, super hearing powers or anything. And we see a, a montage also after he adjusts the satellite where everyone's returning to normal. Uh, is reverted back to their natural forms. Yeah. Still walking the same direction, so now they're looters, apparently, um, taking stuff from <laughs> the ship and from buildings, but it's okay. I expect them to turn around and go back and put stuff back, or stop at least. They just keep going. They said, we'll uh, meet at midnight. <laughs> it looks like uh, the middle of the day to me, but uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> doesn't look like, there's a lot of good street lighting in front of the Hall of Justice, apparently, because it looks like uh, daytime to me. Right. Um, so now we have Lex Luthor and um, the Scarecrow. Here come, you know, basically saying that they, I guess they didn't notice that the beam was reversed. And they see a, a number of bizarros and cheetahs coming back with their treasures. Yeah, but a very suspicious proportion here because there's ten bizarros and one cheetah. <laughs> so right away, you kind of figure something's a little off here. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> I've given up at this point trying to figure out this. <laughs> So these uh, 11 mystery people bring in the money and Captain Cold instructs them where to put it. And of course, once inside, they take off their masks, revealing themselves to be the super friends in disguise. It's like, you know, where did they get the Bizarro and Cheetah costumes? And how did Hawkman hide his wings? I guess we're really not supposed to worry about it. 
The funny thing is, right after they reveal, they take off their masks and they reveal who they are, the next scene later, they're all out of the costumes. Yeah, yeah. Like, literally, the next frame, Batman and Hawkman and everyone's, they're, they're gone. It's like, wow, that was very, uh, very quick undressing there. Yeah, and their costumes are underneath. Yep, no problems. No bulges or anything, so. <laughs> very, very quick change. So after making themselves known to Lex Luthor, they then close in on the Legion of Doom, and a very slow fight ensues. Yes, very we see, slow. Yeah, we see Gorilla Grodd throw a computer at Green Lantern, uh, but he catches it with some sort of giant green baseball mitt that he's made with his ring, and then he uses that same mitt to scoop up Gorilla Grodd, Solomon Grundy, Sinestro, and Scarecrow. I mean, four very powerful guys that all just kind of stand there and allow themselves to be scooped up. Yeah, apparently Sinestro forgets that he has the same powers yeah. as uh, the Green Lantern. Or, or counter powers, because he has the powers. power of yellow. So, I mean, it would work against whatever is happening. Just gives up, you know. And everyone's got like, a little tagline, so Green Lantern says, Looks like you're out. <laughs> and we have the dramatic fight between Cheetah and Wonder Woman. And, uh, yeah, Wonder Woman kind of easily lassos her around the waist. From the side, it seems. It doesn't really even look like Cheetah knows what's happening. And yeah. she's hoisted up to a, a ceiling beam. Yep. And Wonder Woman gives the line, I think Cheetah will be tied up for a while. <laughs> Very clever. Oh, yes. And Batman and Robin walk up to Bizarro, who, for some reason, declares himself the strongest man in the world. Okay. And he flies up to the ceiling, rips off a steel beam, and uses it to tie them up. And they just kind of stand there and allow themselves to be tied up. <laughs> There's a lot of standing around waiting for stuff to happen. Not Very not... slow reaction time in this series. Yeah, not putting up any uh, fights or anything. So at this point, when they're wrapped up in the steel beam, Batman's able to throw a batarang. Yes. Which cuts through the steel beam and lets <laughs> them out. Very handy gadget he has there. Yeah, very, very powerful. And th thankfully he didn't hit them at all. It just went right through where, where it was supposed to. Yeah. And then he has the most amazing weapon that I've probably ever seen ever. What's he called this thing that comes out of his utility belt? Uh, a plastic bag, I believe, <laughs> is the, the technical term. A plastic bag, which <laughs> goes around Bizarro and stops him. No explanation besides that it's a plastic bag. Yeah, and, and Batman even says, What's wrong, Bizarro? Can't punch your way out of a plastic bag? And so, that's what it is. Yeah, no, he cannot. No, apparently not. So he's trapped, and he, again, gives up immediately, and doesn't even try to break out of it, just stops. <laughs> but finally, we have the mastermind himself, Lex Luthor, who is, has his dream machine. Yeah, and, and Lex starts to threaten everybody with this dream machine, but then Superman flies in, grabs him, and fires the dream machine at the Legion of Doom, who was conveniently all standing together at that moment. <laughs> in the same spot. That really worked out well for them. Yep. I didn't see Lex Luthor there, though. I'm looking back right now. I, don't, I can see him in that group. Yeah, well, the group shots are always yeah. kind of lacking some of the characters anyway. And Superman tells them to go directly to jail. Didn't they realize that the dream machine only worked on people that were asleep anyway? Apparently not. <laughs> I, I didn't understand this. Like, Superman's just like, all right, go go to jail. Which is probably how they escape pretty easily, because maybe they didn't go to jail. Well, uh, I, I don't know. We'll find out very shortly what happens. We immediately get another scene transition and cut back to the Hall of Justice later on that night, and Batman commends the group for their teamwork, and, and Robin remarks that now the whole group is behind bars. 
And once again, we get uh, an instant reaction on the view screen because Lex Luthor instantly pops onto their view screen to tell them that this is not the case. He tells them that they were prepared for such an emergency and he programmed the Dream Machine to be ineffective against the Legion of Doom. And that they're already back at the Hall of Doom planning their next sinister mission and this time nothing will stop them. So... Which, by the way, is in Slother Swamp outside Gotham City. <laughs> yeah, really, I know. Yeah. Give them everything. But at th So at this point, when Superman fires the Dream Machine beam at this group and tells them to go to jail, that means they all knew, all right, if this is ever fired on you, pretend like it's working on you. And, and so go to jail. All, yep. Yeah, all 13 of them had in unison had to pretend that they were like in this sleepwalk state and all marched out of the building. And all the of the Justice League members stood there and said, okay, well, they're walking off to jail. We don't have to see this through. Yeah, he's devious, that, uh, that Lex Luthor. Just like the Legion of Doom didn't see their plan through to watch the Super Friends burn up on the sun, the Super Friends make a very similar mistake not watching the Legion of Doom march themselves off to jail. Yep, that's, they're just done. Yeah. So the episode ends with Superman's response to this. He replies, give it up, Luthor, you failed this time and you'll fail every time you try to triumph over justice. And the Super Friends. And the, the episode closes with one final image of the Super Friends standing together, except for Apache Chief and Black Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? So I, I don't know. know. That too. Yeah, they, they were, uh, it was their day off. They had enough of this. Yeah, and I was wondering maybe if this was a recycled shot from a previous series, I would it would not surprise me at all if Hanna-Barbera did this. But, yeah. you know, really, especially in your first episode. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunate, but I I'm guessing, again, they didn't think that five-year-olds would probably wouldn't notice. <laughs> and apparently they didn't. So from here we get the closing credits and the famous Hanna-Barbera logo. Yes. So Sean, looking back on this episode, watching it for this podcast, what did you think of this? You know, it it's a part of my childhood, so I gotta say I love it. It's very humorous looking back at it now, and kind of looking back at what I was enthralled with as a child so yeah for what it was and for what it is it's it's very cheesy it's it's not you know logical at all in a lot of places as we can see but it has the action there was so much crammed into this one episode it was amazing how yeah. much they i mean the storylines went back and forth and people getting trapped and batman and it's like oh my goodness but i gotta love it because it is justice league and it is very you know it's very 1978 yeah so, very very fun i i would watch it again i show it to my kids they were enthralled by it I, i'm a fan even though, though it is cheesy yourself oh yeah i mean same here it, it's it's stupid you know of course it's stupid uh it's made for you know younger kids but it's something that everybody can enjoy i, I love going back and watching some of these i i have a couple of the dvd sets and uh, once in a while, I'll, I'll put one on. It's just so funny to see these impossible situations and something will just coincidentally happen and get them out of it. And it just happens over and over and over again. Like in this case, the meteor that Superman just happens to see. Well, good thing that thing was there. You know, there's th these characters should not be alive, you know, except for these small coincidences that happen time and time again. But just a very funny, campy show. I love the the Hanna-Barbera animation style that we've come to love from the Flintstones and the Jetsons, now applied to some of the most famous superhero characters, so how can you go wrong? Yeah, definitely. Very, very funny, very cool uh, series. Yeah, a lot of fun to go back and find. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, 
suggestions, whatever logical flaws you happen to find, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Sean, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, no, okay. Sky, I don't have anything to plug today. Okay. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can find me there at MC and Friends. I am also on Vine. My name there is MC and Friends as well. There I do flip page animations, little humorous cartoons. You can find me there. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you do, it really helps us out, and we will give you a shout-out on the show, and we try to be very creative with those. For Android users, we are also available to stream and download on Stitcher, and we can now be found on TuneIn Radio as well. So if you prefer Android devices, or if you know somebody else that prefers Android devices, that may be the way to go or to recommend us to somebody else. And we are definitely appreciative of all your help. Well, we have been Sean and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Good night, everyone.